0: Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. How's everybody doing this morning, Pinewood? You guys are just all over the place, and I absolutely love it. I would say it's good to be here, but in 2020, it's really just good to be anywhere. Right? It's just good to be anywhere. Uh, My name is Joel. Normally I serve as a part of the band here, but this morning they let me hold this microphone without a guitar. So I'm pretty excited uh, because I've got something to share with you this morning that I really hope blesses you and and shapes you. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to the book of Jonah or a phone that turns into a Bible magically. Turn it to the book of Jonah, chapter one. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning as we continue in our series minute by minute. You know, 2020 has been a year where things have literally changed minute by minute, haven't they? What's true today might not be true tomorrow. What was true yesterday might not be true next week. But there is some truth in our life that we can lean on, and that's the scripture that God loves us and that Jesus has come to save us and give us a plan and a future for our lives. And this morning we're going to talk about just that. Even in a time when it's hard to keep the main things the main things, right? Right? as we're figuring this out minute by minute, what we have to focus in on is our priorities and our purpose, two P. So if you're taking notes, put those at the top of the page, our priorities and our purpose. And I just wanna take a little quick poll this morning. How many of you as a, a young person or a child had a dream for your purpose in life? Like you had this lofty goal that like I wanted to, You know, maybe it was you wanted to be an astronaut, right? Yeah, there's not enough hands up. Everybody did this, there we go. Now, how many of you are living out those childhood dreams as an adult? I hope at least somebody is. This is great. At least we got one person. Okay, we got two. We got two. There's more people doing this, but let me tell you something. I was one of those kids that literally changed their mind and purpose about life every couple years, and it wasn't just like I dabbled in stuff. I was the kid that jumped into the pool, right? I I, I was cannonball every time, and I grew up in the 90s of the Chicago Bull 90s, if you've heard of them. And so I grew up in a a place in rural Ohio, uh, the birthplace of LeBron James. Um, I'll just throw that out there. Not where I lived, but Ohio itself, where basketball was life and we printed out t-shirts that said so. This is not a joke, okay, this is all we had. Basketball was life and every Friday night, the gym was packed and people would get in fist fights in the parking lot and it's all true because basketball was life to us. So naturally, I thought in middle school, I was gonna play in the NBA and this is not a joke because I believed it for many years until I got to be about a sophomore in high school and I realized genetics were not on my side. Uh, I didn't quite have uh, you know, the, the, the ups that I couldn't jump. I, I could barely, I could hustle and that was all I had. Hard work just probably wasn't going to get me to the NBA. So I decided at, at about 10th grade, I said, that, that dream's past, we need a new dream. So then I decided to go to another sport. I went to golf. I know they're so similar and both so exciting, yeah. right? I decided golf was gonna be my thing. And, and if I practiced enough, if I played it, if I worked hard enough, I, I could make it to the PGA Tour and I still I still believe that in my head to this day. Um, but when I got to the end of high school, I realized that most of those guys hit the ball 50, 60 yards farther than me off the tee and that probably wasn't gonna be my thing either. So then I decided to make a, a very practical choice. I decided a touring musician, a rock star was probably the path that I would go. And I I ran in that direction hard. And then I decided I didn't wanna be homeless for that dream. And so I left that dream behind too. But in my life, things changed so rapidly uh, as a young person because I was just going for one thing to another. I didn't quite know what I was doing. And you know what the turning point was on each of those dreams? Those purposes were just solid in my life until the moment I realized they were gonna be hard to achieve. Right? Like the NBA was a great dream until I realized that all my disadvantages genetically would lead me to have to work harder than everybody. So, eh, maybe not for me. May- Golf was going to be great until I realized it was lots of sacrifice and hours and hours of investment on the course. I'd be there first thing in the morning, last thing in the evening. It was hard, right? Being a touring musician was a great idea until I realized I'd have to live in a van with four other stinky guys for a while and live on basically nothing to try to make it happen. It was hard. And when I realized that those things were hard, I abandoned those purposes in my life. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever abandoned a purpose or a calling just because it was hard? I think we all have at some point or another. We've all said, you know what? I think this is my thing. I think this could be my direction. And then gotten to a point where we've had to make the decision, do I keep going or do I stop? Because this is just going to be hard. In the book of Jonah, we have maybe what is one of the hardest callings that God has ever placed on a person happen to Jonah. And we're just gonna study a few verses of this this morning, but it's my hope that by investigating this hard calling that we can look into our lives and and find something to reflect it on, find something to mirror as we realize that not only has 2020 been a weird and hard year, not only have things changed minute by minute, but it's just hard in general to find your purpose to find your calling, to zero in on, hone in on what God wants you to do. Or maybe for you even decide if God is the one you want directing your life. Maybe you're just starting out, trying to figure things out, saying who should be in charge here. No matter where you find yourself today, we can all agree that at some point we reach that intersection of difficulty and trouble and we have to decide whether we're going forward or going back. And I hope by sharing a little bit of uh, Jonah's story with you this morning that that you can see yourself in it. So, um, you know, Jonah is an interesting book of the Bible because it's actually a book of prophecy that's not like any other book of prophecy in the entire Old Testament. That's the Bible before Jesus. You know, this is back when God would speak to his people through men called prophets. They were literally his mouthpiece. And instead of having a leather-bound edition of God's word on their laps or in their phones, in any language or translation they wanted, they would have to wait to hear from the man who, of God. And because of that, these prophets were often in an awkward situation because God didn't always have to say sunshine and rainbow poems to his people. He had some harsh things to say at times, he had rebukes for his people. And so prophets were often outcasted, outcast from society. They were often beaten. Some of them were tormented, tortured, and, and a lot of them were killed because what they brought to the people was a difficult word. This is how God would give his direction and guidance and really his love, grace, and mercy to his people through the mouth of the prophet. And so prophets were a despised group of people who really had to struggle through their calling. Jonah's no different than them. The only difference is in Jonah's four short chapters that we have in his book of the Bible he's really only speaking prophecy for about two verses, just a a tiny piece of the book. The rest of the book is a conversation between Jonah and God. It's what happens in between the lines of most of those stories that we don't get to hear about. It's what happens in the mind and the heart of a man who is given a hard calling, a difficult purpose, and says, "Mm mm-mm, not for me. It's what happens in most of our minds and in our lives. And I think you're going to see yourself in it this morning. So I want you to take the opportunity to appreciate the gravity of this scripture, the uniqueness of this scripture, and that it gives us a lot to relate to as not only God's people, but as as his church. You see, God speaks, Jonah reacts. God reiterates, Jonah realigns. That's what happens throughout the book. And you'll see God hanging with this man in the midst of all kinds of emotions, all kinds of fear, all kinds of doubt, all kinds of things that we use to to put ourselves on the sidelines. This is what God is working with Jonah through. And so let's start reading in chapter one, verse one of Jonah. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. That's how most books of prophecy start. The word of the Lord came to a man. And this is what it said. Verse two, he said, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. Not an unfamiliar message. God uses a prophet to tell evil people they're evil. They need to change their ways. Something has to be different or you'll find judgment. Not that out of the ordinary for the Old Testament. The only difference is the people that God calls Jonah to speak this message to were no ordinary people. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And in their day, I'm gonna put this in terms that all understand, and if you're a 90s Bulls fan, you'll get this. They were the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys of their day, only much, much worse, okay? This is... This is bad stuff. I'll tell you just how bad the Assyrians were. This is what Bible commentator James Bruckner had to say about the Assyrians. This is a man that studied that time of history, these people, for his entire life pretty much. The Assyrian kings were proud of their cruel and terrible reputation, and they went to great trouble and expense to record their exploits for posterity, just so we would remember how bad they were. Okay, It says that archaeologists have uncovered many reliefs of grisly post-battle scenes which were erected in palaces so that they could be seen daily. In addition, written descriptions of post-battle tortures of prisoners were preserved on obelisks and cylindrical pillars. Let me tell you how bad the Assyrians were. They were so bad that they not only told stories about battles, but they made posters about them, put them up on the wall, that they put them into their history at great expense. So thousands of years afterward, we would still know hope how bad they were. And they put it on the pillars that supported their cities and their buildings so that everyone in the city would remember that these guys were the baddest of them all. This is who God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and speak against. I'll take you even one further. The Assyrians actually pioneered some pretty gruesome and horrible things The history that they went to all the detail and trouble to record tells us that they figured out how to do things like stretch a man so far that you could literally skin him alive and then place his skin on the outside of the city wall so that anybody who came to attack might remember that this is what we do to our enemies. They would also decapitate their enemies and place their heads on poles like skewers and then make their families The families of the deceased parade around their city in something called the parade of heads with their loved ones' heads on poles. During times of war, they would bring home heads, hands, and feet and lay them in piles around the city so that their people would remember we're at war and we're winning. These are the people we are. This is what we do to our enemies. This is who God says to Jonah, go and speak against. Not only were the Assyrians a troubled people, but they had a troubled past and history with God's people, the nation of Israel. We see this in scripture. If you're looking for baby names, there's a few good ones coming up here, so pay attention. Tiglath Pileser II, yeah. 2 Kings 15:29. He threatened Israel and captured and deported a portion of their population. In uh, Sargon II, that's a good one, right? Like Lord of the Rings. Sargon the second. He enslaved 29,790 Israelites according to his own record. 27, or 27,290. He knows the exact number. He's proud of it. That's how many Israelites he enslaved. Sennacherib, that's your last one. If you're, you don't like those, you gotta get new names. Uh, he moved the capital of Assyria to Nineveh. He besieged Jerusalem until God actually delivered them miraculously in 2 Kings 19. So not only were these bad people with a bad reputation, but they had bad blood with God's people. Jonah knew this. This would be, I'm from Ohio, so this would like be someone, someone saying, go to Ann Arbor, Michigan. And tell them the good, now I love people from Michigan, but you know, if you're not from Ohio, you really won't get it. The Wolverines, we just don't mix so well. Maybe this is not quite as bad as what Jonah had to do, but this was maybe the worst ask that God could give a prophet. The other side of this is that Jonah knew the heart of God. Not only was this a difficult thing because it put Jonah in personal harm's way. It was personal safety in jeopardy. But Jonah also knew that God was loving, and he was merciful and gracious, and he wasn't so excited about God extending an olive branch of grace, an opportunity for repentance to the people who have done such horrible things, both to his nation and others. Jonah had to be thinking, why do these people deserve a second chance? Why don't we just smoke this city, God? Right? So what I would have said, Jonah was upset and we know he was upset because of his reaction. But what we have to realize and what Jonah is about to learn is that God's calling doesn't always align with our expectations, does it? What God needs us to do, what path he's laying in front of us does not always align with our expectations for how life should go. How many of you have ever said, God, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to follow you, but then tried to put God inside your own parameters. It might sound a little bit something like this. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go as long as it's in the country that I live. God, I'll give whatever you want me to give as long as it doesn't mess with my 401k and my budget. God, I'll help whoever you want me to help as long as it's not that difficult and doesn't make me feel uncomfortable or doesn't put me in any kind of real jeopardy or stress. Now, I know you all, none of you all would say these things out loud, would you? I sure wouldn't. But we say them by the way we follow after God's purpose for our lives. We say them through our actions. We say them the same way that Jonah says them in verse 3. Because here's what he does. God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. I've got a word for them. They're evil. It's about time they find out. Jonah, th- or Jonah 3, 1-3. It says, Jonah rose up. So he listened on that part. God said, get up. So Jonah said, I'll get up. And I ain't getting up to go to Nineveh. He rose to flee to Tarshish. And this is important. From the presence of the Lord. He wasn't just fleeing from the physical location God asked him to go He was trying to flee from the presence of God, the presence of God's purpose and call on his life. I wish I could show you a map of this part of the country so you could see that Nineveh and Tarshish are in exact opposite directions from Joppa where Jonah was. The only best way I can describe it is that we're here in Colorado in the middle of the country. This is like me saying, I need you to go to Oregon and you buy a plane ticket to Orlando, okay? This is what Jonah did. It says that he went down to Joppa, the nearest port city. He found a ship going to Tarshish and he said, how much money? I don't care. Here's your money. Take me anywhere. Jonah got on the tip. That was pretty good. And that was off the top of my head too. That's right. There's more where that came from. So he paid the fare and he went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish. Again, away from the presence of the Lord. And that's important because Jonah's no dummy. He's a man of God. He knows how this works. And he knows that you can't just flee God by not doing what he asked you to do. You must totally get away from his presence. He's trying to hide himself utterly and completely from the God of the universe. A real good plan, right? How many of you have done something so habitually and so repetitively that you got a reputation for it? Anybody care to be honest? Yeah? Okay, we're going to take a little poll. We'll see how many of you can be honest and admit these things this morning. How many of you are the people that everybody knows? There's no shame here. Just We're just taking a poll. Everybody knows you're always late. Who is it? Okay. Honest people. God loves you the most. Yes. How many of you people are like, you're that messy person? And like, you know, people come to get in the car with you and you got three weeks to take out bags on the passenger seat. How many of you are the messy person and everybody knows it? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you, now, now this is a hard one to admit, how many of you are kind of like that 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 non-adventurous, just a little bit scared, uh, you know, like your friends say, let's go bungee jumping, and you say, I need new friends. Anybody, there? yeah, yeah. Yep, we all know what it's like whether we were the kid in seventh grade that had some kind of horrible thing happen to them that now led to a nickname that we carried all the way through college, which is weird because the people at college don't even know the people in high school and you're trying to figure out how they learned that nickname. But either way, we all know what it's like to carry a reputation with us through life because we've become known for something, right? And I believe in the faith community, in in the circle of Christians, in the church world, we all look at Jonah and say, this guy, he's a runner. If he's known for one thing, he's known for being kind of this like scaredy cat. This, This guy who just couldn't do what God told him to do, who just said, you know what, I'm just gonna run. He was a runner. I feel like we throw that on Jonah so quickly. That's the reputation he has. He's often called the reluctant prophet. But you know what that really does to Jonah? You know what that really puts Jonah? In the category of human. In fact, it puts him in the same category as many of the great patriarchs and giants of the faith we see in the rest of the Bible that we won't even think for a second of as unfaithful or reluctant. People like Abraham... Moses and Jeremiah, listen to a little bit of their story. If you don't know much about Abraham, know that he is the great patriarch of scripture. God told him from your family, your line, your seed, I will bless all nations, meaning that it would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then all the way down to King David and lead to eventually the man in the flesh, Jesus, the great father of the faith. Did you know that God had to tell him that he was gonna do this four times, and that every time, except for the last, Abraham snickered, sneered, just wasn't sure. It says in Genesis 12, we're told um, that after God's first call to Abraham, he left Haran, which is where he lived, but he went to Egypt, and then he lied about his wife Sarah being his sister, that's weird, by the way, uh, and jeopardized God's entire promise by almost getting them killed for this. He didn't trust God. He decided, eh, I'll do this my way. She's not my wife. She's my sister. Then we get to Genesis 15. The second time God called Abraham and told him what he was going to do, Abraham actually argued with God and suggested maybe an alternate route. Rather than let's, you know, this child that is to come, how about we just make this guy, Eleazar of Damascus, my heir? We don't need to wait on the promised son. This would be easier, God. Let's just put a sub in. Huh? <laughs> The third time God called Abraham, he fell down and laughed and pleaded that God bless Ishmael, the son of his concubine, rather than wait for the son that was to come through his wife, Sarah, like God had promised. Do you see what's happening here? There's reluctance in Abraham's ability to follow after God's purpose the first time around. How about Moses? We all know Moses, looks like Charlton Heston. We see him every Easter on TV. I don't know, they do that anymore? Maybe they should. That's what I grew up watching, old Charlton Heston. Uh, But Moses, he's famous for leading God's people out of bondage, out of slavery, hundreds of years of oppression in Egypt, right? Surely he's a faithful guy. Well, in Exodus 3, we see that God calls Moses to Egypt to set his people free, but Moses resists all the way to the point of angering God Later in the same book, the next chapter, Exodus 4.24, God God actually seeks to kill Moses because he passively disobeys God by not circumcising his son until his wife, Sephora, intervenes. Moses didn't jump right to the path that God wanted him to the first time. He was reluctant at times, even to the point of angering God. Not a good guy to anger. I'll give you one more. The prophet Jeremiah, the great prophet Jeremiah says that he resisted God and even called out for his own death. This is just an excerpt of the beautiful um, poetry that he writes in Jeremiah 20. And that's sarcasm because he says this. He says, why did I even come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and end my days in shame? He even goes on in that same chapter to say, cursed be the man who told my father my mother was pregnant. Why should I have even been born? God, just kill me now. That's what he says. And these are great prophets of the Old Testament. Great leaders, great patriarchs. Are you starting to see yourself in their stories, in their lives? I hope so. Because we're given not a picture of perfection in Scripture, We're given a picture of real people struggling with the real call that God has placed on their life. Sometimes the purpose that God gives us to carry is difficult. I find it funny that none of these struggles are hidden in scripture. It's one of the great proofs to me that scripture is true. Why would we tell stories about our greatest leaders who had moments of doubt that said, this is horrible, God, just go ahead and kill me. Like Jeremiah is not alone. Read the whole book of Jonah. That's where he ends up, okay? Why would these stories be in there? To show us the humanity of these men, the difficulty it is to work out your faith and follow after God's purpose in your life. Here's what some of you came here to hear this morning. This is the one thing. So if you were asleep, wake up, nudge somebody. Jonah's reluctance did not disqualify him from his calling. I'll say that again, but with you in there. Your reluctance does not disqualify you from your calling. You see, as I'm saying these things this morning, as I'm sharing these truths, a lot of you, I think many of you probably have a knot in your stomach because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have this thing that God put on your heart. He put it on your mind. He put it in your gut. And he did it years ago, maybe just weeks ago, whenever it was, and you're sitting here going, I don't know what to do about this because I don't want to do it, but I know God told me to do it. It's hard, and so I haven't done anything yet. No, I'm not perfect, but you know what it is because it's eating away inside you. You're familiar with the feeling of a difficult calling, a hard purpose. You know, what I find so interesting is that many times, we as Christians will will push off hard things as though they can't be from God. Have you ever had a well-meaning person say this to you? Well, honey, God's just not gonna give you more than you can handle. If if it's hard, it's not from God. Folks, that's a misinterpretation of scripture and a very bad accent. Okay, first Corinthians, first Corinthians 10, 13 actually says, God will never tempt you beyond what you can bear, but some Christians have taken this and wadded it up into a ball and said, God's just not going to give you more than you can handle. But just like that, I believe scripture tells us just the opposite. There are times when God gives us more than we can handle on purpose, and He knows it. There are times when God says, It's your turn to grow, it's your turn to get dirty. You know, like that, I love, as a father, I love watching my kids have fun. But even when I was, when they were tiny little kids, you know what I used to love? I used to love it when they got dirty and like, just like doing like kid stuff. Just be like, man, you just go run in that mud puddle and pray it's mud. I'm from the country because it might not always be mud, you know? So it's like, you just get dirty because it's your turn to get dirty. And I believe if we don't learn to get dirty, then we never get anything done, right? Right? And sometimes God gives us something. He gives us a purpose, a calling. He gives us a scenario. He says, that person right there, those people over there, that thing, you have to do that thing. And you know why he does that? Not because it's easy, not because it fit our, fits our giftings and our natural inclinations. He does it sometimes because it's hard. Yeah. And he knows that, here's the key, that you're gonna grow in the struggle. You're not just gonna grow personally, but you're going to grow closer to him. Right. I've been married 15 years. I know I don't look a day over 20, but it's true. I've been married for 15 years. My beautiful wife, Jenna, we've got three boys. Um, They are six, 10 and driving me crazy. I mean, 13. Um, But they you know, one thing I've learned about relationships is that you don't have any substance in a relationship until you struggle in a relationship. 15 years of marriage has taught me that we are now where we are because we've struggled against outside forces. There's been times when we had nothing but each other. We struggled against each other. There are times when we were at odds. We've struggled with life and purpose and direction and making decisions. And if it wasn't for all that struggle, you know where we'd be? We'd be the 16 year olds we were when we met who had no clue how life worked, didn't have to pay for car insurance, and our biggest worry was, how much popcorn will she eat on Friday at the movie? Yeah. But because we've struggled together, over 15, 20 years total, we've grown closer. How many of you are missing out on the best Relationship, the best ver- version of your relationship with God because you're unwilling to struggle through something with him? How many of you are missing out on the opportunity to fulfill God's true purpose and calling in your life because it's been too difficult for you to start on? I'm gonna tell you, you're missing something in your relationship with him if you haven't struggled through a season with only him to hold on to with only him to look to, with only his purpose to follow after. You're missing out on something. 2020 has been a year where we all learn to struggle in different ways, right? You've seen yourself grow closer to some people, maybe farther away from others. Whether you've struggled with a job, you've struggled with finances, you've maybe struggled with direction in your life. What does this mean? What do I do? How do I change it? But no matter what you've struggled with, you've seen that struggle bonds people together. And what God has asked Jonah to do is much like what he asks many of us to do. Step out of our comfort zone, follow after a hard calling, and know that on the other side, there's a better relationship, there's a better future, and all of that, none of that reluctance changes your calling. None of it changes what God has for you. You see, here's here's the thing about Jonah. Yes, God told him to go to Nineveh, and no, he didn't want to. He tried to run away, and you know what happened? Probably the most famous thing about Jonah. That ship crashed, a fish swallowed him up, and for three days, he was in the belly of that fish. Then when he was finally spit up on dry land, you know what the first thing God said was? Not, man, how you doing? He said, time to go to Nineveh. And you know what Jonah said this time? Sure, let's do it. In fact, the Bible says, all it says is that Jonah went to Nineveh. You see, I believe that when the fish spit Jonah out, he hadn't worked through all his issues. He was not perfect now. There wasn't some kind of special fish oils enzyme inside of that thing that worked it all out and now he was perfect. No, I think he was the same person that went into the fish with a little better perspective, but he still had some fear, I'm sure, He still had some doubt, but you know what he did differently this time around? He took a step forward toward Nineveh. He actually went. Rather than going to Tarshish, this time as the same person, just with a little different perspective, he went to Nineveh. And do you know what happened in Nineveh? You might expect that they cut off Jonah's head and put it on a pole. It didn't happen. Jonah went into the city and preached a very short sermon that said, you're bad and you need to repent. And you know what they said? Let's fast and ask God for forgiveness. Maybe maybe we should change. Maybe we are evil, wicked people. They tore their clothes and their king said, it's time to change. Maybe God's anger will relent. He'll turn from it and he'll save us. I mean, who would have expected such a reaction? Not Jonah. See, if God would have told him the end of the story, he would have gone to Nineveh in the beginning, wouldn't he? If God would have said, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I know they're horrible people, but you're going to love this reaction. They're going to just weep and turn, and it's going to be like church service. Like Marcus will be playing in the background. It'll be beautiful, you know. But he didn't tell Jonah the end of the story. What he asked him to do was take this hard calling and take one step forward. One step is all it takes. You see, I think that's our problem with discovering our purpose and calling his life is that many of us believe that it it's this huge, giant, all-encompassing thing, and it can be. But oftentimes what God calls us to do is not achieve everything all at once and have this big, huge scope of vision that just goes over every mountain. A lot of times what he asks us to do is just take one step, one foot in front of the other. First things first, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Actually, isn't it kind of interesting that in verse one, God actually says in his instructions, arise like, hey, don't forget to get up, stand up and then go to Nineveh. He gave it to him very small chunks at a time. And I believe that many of us overcomplicate God's purpose for our life by looking for something that's over the horizon and missing what's right in front of our nose the whole time the next step God is calling us to. That's really all it looks like to be obedient. That's the beautiful thing about God's purpose. Just add obedience and poof, it works. It's an infomercial waiting to be made. Just add obedience. But what God does for Jonah is he gives him time to be reluctant. He gives him time to work some of those things out and he never changes his calling. Fish or fish spits him out. Go back to Nineveh. Jonah does it. You see, I think what many of us have done is if we've taken our lust, reluctance and used it as an excuse to disqualify ourselves from God using us. We've taken our fear and our anxiety and our worry, and we've used it as a way to disqualify ourselves from something better God has for us, His purpose for us. But the truth is, fear isn't failure if it leads to obedience. That might make make any sense to you. Like you might say, wait a minute, fear doesn't lead to obedience ever, but it can. You can still take a step forward if you're afraid, can't you? You don't have to have all the answers to take the next step forward. You don't have to know how it's gonna play out to walk to your Nineveh today. Fear isn't failure if it's leading to obedience. And I think far too often, we disqualify ourselves from what God has for us because we say, I'm, I'm just that person with a reputation. Everybody knows me. They, they know I'm not gonna step out of my comfort zone. They know I'm not gonna go on that trip. They know I'm not gonna be the person to give big. They know this about me. And we think, we just convince ourselves that's never going to change. That somehow it changes God's calling or purpose for us, that God goes, oh, I was wrong about that one. They can't do that, can they? The truth is, God's just waiting patiently for you to stop being reluctant, stop pretending you have to have it all together, that all your fears have to be squelched, all your questions have to be answered, and waiting for you to take one step forward. So church this morning, I wanna ask you, what's your one step? What's that one thing you can do today that would get you closer to the purpose and the calling and the direction God wants your life to go in? Maybe you just took that step and you are terrified. Then you need to wrap your arms around the church, around God's people and say, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm running in that direction. I don't have it all figured out yet, but I just know I have to go over there because God said that's where he needed me. Maybe you need to ask for the courage or maybe a push from your church family this morning, from a new set of friends this morning for a nudge to get out there, to take that one step forward. Maybe you need to look inside yourself for the first time and say, maybe it's time that I start seeking God's purpose, seeking God's calling for my life. You know why? Because those who ask, find. Those who knock have the door opened to them. Those that are looking for God's purpose, find it. And opportunities will abound when your eyes are open, when you're actually looking for them church and I know this is no exaggeration scripture tells us I know that God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of our lives but many of us have wrapped it in so much fear so much anxiety so much reluctance that we can't even recognize it anymore it's time to start unwrapping it today because this church is missing something because you're not walking in that purpose. There's somebody out there missing an opportunity to have a relationship with the God of the universe because they're waiting on you to have a conversation with them. We can't make it about other people for our whole lives. We can't make it about someone else should do it. Someone else should step in. That's not for me. Eventually, we have to ask ourselves, what's God's call on my life? And even if it's hard, how am I going to take that one step forward? Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.